DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Institute for Priestly Formation, presents The School of Prayer, Foundations for the New Evangelization with Father Scott Trainer. Father Trainer serves as the rector of St. John Vianney Theological Seminary in Denver, Colorado. He has been an instructor and spiritual director for many of the programs at the Institute for Priestly Formation. He is a retreat master and spiritual director who has traveled the country as a speaker for various conferences, diocesan gatherings, and national conferences. He is the author of The Parish as a School of Prayer, Foundation for the New Evangelization, on which this series is based. The School of Prayer, Foundations for the New Evangelization with Father Scott Trainer. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Father Scott, thank you so much for joining us again. Great to be here. Thanks so much. As we continue to talk about prayer and our opening our hearts to that encounter with God, we've discussed the imagination and that in our experience, now we're getting to a point where it would be very helpful if we had someone to discuss our experiences with. And in some cases, we understand that to be spiritual direction. Not everybody can get to a spiritual director or find a spiritual director. They have spiritual friendships. But what should we do when we're experiencing all of this and we have this need to be able to discern it out and to talk to another? Yeah, it's a, that's a big question. Maybe I can just take a slice of that and give an encouragement to married persons. Because God knows what he's doing when he draws a man and woman together in marriage. Mm-hmm. And for a husband and a wife to experience the abundant blessing of their love that God desires. So I love that uh, declaration right before uh, the exchange of vows in the marriage rite of the church. God abundantly blesses this love. So, you know, a man and woman, they meet, they're attracted to each other, they grow in friendship, they fall in love. Uh, They've made choices throughout their courtship to continue to pursue this relationship and not look for the off-ramp. And eventually one day, one of them finds in their heart, you know what? I don't only want to choose to continue to be with you for next week and to continue dating. I want to choose you for the rest of my life. And that's where the idea of proposing marriage and becoming engaged springs up. And... The proposal is made and it's accepted. So the other person has found in their heart the same desire. I want to choose you for the rest of life. Mm-hmm. And there, there, there they go. They're engaged and now they're married. Of course, that choosing happens every day. But that beautiful process of attraction and falling in love and then being in love, maturing into actually choosing to love, leading to marriage. God takes all of that and abundantly blesses it. So I think sometimes uh, at weddings of uh, the Grinch who stole Christmas and the end of the movie where his heart grows like three sizes, right? Mm -hmm. This is what happens as uh, a bride and groom exchange their vows at the marriage, at the wedding. Uh, God increases their capacity to love each other in a way far beyond they would ever be able to just through the natural process of their love for each other. God abundantly blesses their love. 
And he does so in the vocation of marriage precisely to make them saints. That in choosing to love each other day in and day out, in good times and bad, in sickness and health, for richer for poor, all the days of their life, that their hearts will continue to expand in the capacity of love to receive the fullness of divine love, which is union with God in heaven. Okay, so there's a once over lightly in the whole glory of the vocation of marriage. Mm-hmm. Well, essential to the fulfillment of God's desire to abundantly bless the love of a husband and wife is the invitation for them to be deeply united in prayer. And this is something that the vast majority of married persons don't have a good sense of, or uh, it's not alive in their imagination, what that would even look like in their marriage, in wonderful marriages, faithful marriages. This is an underdeveloped gift that God is offering Mm-hmm. That isn't often received. Okay. But how can that happen? Right. And this is what I'm thinking of in light of your question. Mm-hmm. There can be a very simple and beautiful conversation that happens on a daily basis between a husband and wife that is exactly this kind of heart sharing. Like to the one whom I'm building my life with, my spouse, my beloved. I want, you know, that's deep in our hearts. We want to be known by our beloved and to be received in what's going on in us with unconditional love, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's one of the reasons this is an underdeveloped gift because it's very vulnerable and the fear of if I make my heart known in these deepest places, like what's going on with me in relationship with God, if that self-offering to my spouse is fumbled or mishandled or ignored or treated indelicately on in a rough day uh it can be very very hurtful of course right Mm -hmm. but then again husbands and wives are resilient you know they've experienced that kind of hurt and ah uh frequently in married life because guess what we didn't marry perfect people It's true. It's true. And they learn beautifully how to magnanimously negotiate, how to forgive that and invite God to come in and bless those uh, hurt places. Anyways, so there's a simple conversation that can happen. And uh, I kind of imagine it like this. And I talk about this in my book, The Parish is a School of Prayer, a little bit. Um, At the end of the day, to take a half hour, okay? And there's a couple of ground rules for this conversation. In this time of heart sharing, uh, there's no advice giving. We're not going to work on issues in the relationship. We're not planning out the van schedule for the family for the coming day. Mm -hmm. It's just a time to share what's been in my heart and mind today and to experience being listened to attentively by my spouse and responded to with unconditional love and then to do that mutually for each other. So I picture it like this. For 10 or 15 minutes, uh, the husband talks to his wife about what was going on in his day, what stands out to him, right? What was he thinking? What was he feeling? What did he desire throughout the circumstances of his day? And in that time, we can talk about other people, but it always has to circle back around to how did that affect me? Right. So it's not just a time to talk about situations at work or other people, what's going on, but if, you know, in the context of those realities that we live that day, how did this affect me? What did I think about this? How was I feeling about this? Uh, what desires are stirring in my heart? And to make that known to my spouse 
And then as the wife's listening to that, her job is just to receive that and to respond to her husband with unconditional love. And it's hard not to jump in and try to offer advice or counsel or try to figure out and help fix things because we love people and we want to help them out. But this is a moment to realize that, you know, God is the one who can actually make the difference in these circumstances. As much as, and parents know this poverty with their children, as much as you would love to make it right and make it better, there's a real limit of what you can do. So in this conversation anyways, uh, it's just not a time for advice giving or figuring out or fixing anything. It's a time to listen and to gaze and listen to one's spouse with love, okay? And then to switch roles and do the same. Okay, so the wife can speak to her husband about her day, what's been going on, thoughts, feelings, and desires that stirred in her heart. And it'll be even more difficult for the guy uh, not to give his wife advice and try to figure out and fix it because men really like to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so what do we do? This is a prelude to praying together because if I've really listened to your thoughts, feelings, and desires, a key habit in prayer is to choose to relate honestly to God the thoughts, feelings, and desires that are in my heart. So if I'm listening to my spouse in this contemplative, unconditionally love, I accept you as you are, and I just love you because you're good and you're beautiful. Even if you've had the ugliest and worst day of your life, I love you. And I'm receiving that, I'm welcoming you into my heart, I'm not trying to guard my heart against you at all but I'm taking you in in what's beautiful and glorious and what's wounded and difficult. And what am I gonna do with that since I'm not gonna jump in and try to manage or fix anything? In my poverty, I'm just gonna lift you who have welcomed in my heart up to God. And so I'm gonna talk to God right in front of my spouse and pray, Heavenly Father, I thank you for my wife, Judy. You know, Lord, the sorrow that's in her heart around this situation. I thank you for the beauty and tenderness of her heart. And I ask you, Lord, to bless her in that sadness, to penetrate that sadness and help her to know your love for her in the midst of it. That's a simple prayer. So what I'm doing is I'm just articulating, I'm putting into words to God in prayer what I've heard from my spouse together with what has stirred in my heart in my love for my spouse. And that is a beautiful powerful marriage family transforming way of praying and everyone who's listening to me is perfectly capable of doing that today it might be more or less difficult for individuals to kind of put the brakes on trying to give advice and figure out and fix and you know Mm -hmm. kind of move in those things that are strictly forbidden in this particular conversation uh but to listen and to notice what stirs in my heart as I listen and to lift that whole thing up to God in prayer, everyone is capable of doing. Uh, just talking to God as I talk to a trusted friend with my spouse on the basis of what I've heard from her and what stirs in my heart as I listen to her and then asking God's blessing for her in the midst of that. And then to experience my wife doing the same for me. This is a great gift that God provides for married persons. And it's a gift that remains largely wrapped and unopened under the Christmas tree. Well, I think that's very true. I would say that it's in the United States, but I suspect it's probably throughout the rest of the world as well, Hmm. that that relationship in marriage, Hmm. that spiritual relationship is very much damaged by a sense of isolation mm-hmm. within even in marriages, let alone those who are 
not in a marriage Mm -hmm. or have had that breaking Mm -hmm. of that relationship. Mm -hmm. And that's something that the the Lord needs to heal in the individual as well as in that that coupling. Certainly, certainly. There's a reason why the enemy would want to discourage married persons from entering into this daily, frequent habit of this heart-to-heart sharing and praying together because he will never succeed in undermining or breaking a marriage if the husband and wife are relating to each other in that level of intimacy. And I know what I'm proposing is challenging because you know I've had married couples that I'm a spiritual director for for years who each have well-developed, mature lives of prayer. And still it's difficult to enter into this praying together as a husband and wife with their spouse. And they're both perfectly capable of it. They know how to pray. They know what it's like to listen and talk to God about what's stirring in their heart. And it's still a challenge because it's hugely vulnerable, massively uh, transparent and requires great trust. And when that trust is fumbled or mishandled without its appropriate reverence and delicacy, it can be quite hurtful. But God is greater than all of that. And so the enemy just wants to discourage people and say it's not really possible because he knows if people enter into it, even as it's a growing habit and can be messy and doesn't go perfectly every time, uh, there's no way he's going to be able to undermine that marriage, you know? So uh, for people who uh, are in the case of uh, a marriage that has ended in divorce, that's a huge place of needed healing for their own relationship with God. Mm-hmm. In uh, and again, banking on the conversations we've had before about how to invite God into hurtful moments. Well, there's going to be a lot of that healing necessary in a person's heart who's uh, undergone divorce and the brokenness of that. Uh, a lot of the love of God that needs to come into those hurtful moments that led to the demise of their marriage. And I just want to encourage such persons that the love of God conquers overwhelmingly, even in the face of that deep hurt. It's not something you just have to kind of bury and move on with life just the best you can. Uh, God's interested in being with you and meeting you right in the depths of that hurtfulness. And then maybe we could talk about, uh, you know, for those who are not in the vocation of marriage, okay, I don't have a spouse to have this heart-to-heart conversation with. Mm -hmm. Who do I do that with? Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, not with the guy that you're going on a date with. (laughs) Step one, right? That would be putting the cart before the horse in terms of real intimacy in the relationship, right? And St. Ignatius says something important in the rules for discernment of spirits, and he's talking about actually resisting temptations. And he talks about making known the enemy's Temptations, So these thoughts and feelings and desires that are stirring in my heart that I know are not from God and actually lead me away from God to make them known to one's good confessor or another spiritual person. Well, what does he mean by that? It's not just any confessor, but one's good confessor. And it's not just any person, but a spiritual person. And Ignatius says in the next line, um, one who is familiar with the customary deceits of the enemy. And so it's important for us to have in our lives and uh, someone who is familiar with the rules for discernment of spirits, who knows how to listen to the stirrings of a heart and 
to be aware of what's going on there, to understand what's spiritual versus what's non-spiritual. And of those things that, those thoughts, feelings, and desires that are specifically spiritual to understand further what's from God and what's not from God. And then how to take action in regard to what's from God and what's not from God, how to receive what's from God and how to resist what's not from God. So again, for our listeners, uh, if you haven't picked up Father Timothy Gallagher's excellent book, The Discernment of Spirits, and listened to uh, Chris McGregor's interview with him, thoroughly going through that book with excellent examples, it's a great teaching to understand. But we need the gift. I, I, listen, I know the rules for discernment very well, right? Mm-hmm. I walk with dozens and dozens of people in spiritual direction. Great. I can't direct myself. Right, uh, the lawyer who represents himself has a fool for a client. <laughs> Same thing for the director who directs has himself for a directee. Right, as a mm-hmm. fool for a directee. I need someone, but a good confessor, another spiritual person who is familiar with discernment of spirits, to whom I can make my heart known, who can really listen to me and help draw my attention to uh, what's spiritually significant what's from God, what's not from God, so I can more fully receive what's from God and more effectively resist what's not from God. I can't do that for myself. And I have great confidence because of God's love for each one of us that as I'm asking for that gift, God, can you lead me to someone in my life? And maybe it's not a spiritual director because Mm -hmm. those are hard to find. A good spiritual director is hard to find. But another spiritual person who is experienced and more Um, matured in this uh, life of intimacy with God who understands the customary deceits of the enemy, who can really listen to me at that level. So for single persons, someone who's not in the vocation of marriage, um, asking God to lead me to such a person in my life, a real spiritual friendship where we are building one life, one happiness together in pursuit of something greater than ourselves, namely our intimacy with God and our holiness. I love the fact that you continually reference St. Ignatius and the, the wonderful be aware, understand, take action. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the big three that if we can always have that in the back of our minds. But uh, can you help someone if they're, they believe they might have found that spiritual friend or companion to, to journey? And what should be warning signs that this may not be the case. <laughs> I might be comfortable with them. They, we, we have an easy friendship, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of other things. But what should be the warning signs that pop up to say, maybe this isn't the best spiritual of guides? Sure. Um, a couple just off the top of my head. And it's an important question because I don't want to have the experience of um, entering into that vulnerability with mm-hmm. Uh, a person who's not prepared to reverence and handle with great care and delicacy and the grace of God, that kind of vulnerability and transparency, because that can be hugely discouraging mm-hmm. and for a person in their life with God. So that's an important question. So a few things. Uh, first of all, this spiritual friendship has to be someone who can profess with joy the fullness of our Catholic faith. Okay. If there's someone who has serious reservations, struggles, difficulties with some aspect of Catholic teaching, whether that's either the dogmatic teaching of the church and the nature of God, Mm -hmm. um, some aspect of church discipline or the moral teachings of the church. So one thing you're looking for in uh, 
a spiritual friend like this, is someone who can joyfully proclaim the fullness of Catholic teaching. Uh, if it's someone who has serious reservations about some aspect of uh the dogmatic teaching of the church or church discipline or the moral teachings of the church, uh, they're not going to serve you well as a spiritual companion. And why is that? It's not because they're a bad person or whatever, because all sorts of people have different struggles for many, many different reasons. Mm -hmm. But the point is that the Holy Spirit who's laboring in your heart is going to lead you to a, a fullness of acceptance of the teaching authority of the church in the area of morals and the order of what we believe about God and the order of just the organization of the church's life mm -hmm. because the church is Christ's body on earth. And so the movement of God in our hearts is always to uh, move us to a full embrace of the gift of the church and being a fully a member of his body, the church on earth. So if someone has a hard reservation about some aspect of that, when the Holy Spirit is doing that in your heart, they're not going to be able to hear that and walk with you uh, with full effectiveness. So that's a key thing. Uh, another one is just how have they come to know the customary deceits of the enemy? Mm -hmm. How do they know about the rules for discernment um, and the life of prayer? Uh, usually that's going to be a person who has benefited from spiritual direction who can say, you know, well, I was, you know, I've, when I was on retreat here, these are key graces that I've received and I've learned from with the help of another spiritual, per another, my good confessor, spiritual director, or another spiritual person. Um, so they should, if people don't just sort of like fall into that on their own, typically right. in a way that's going to equip them to accompany someone else. It involves being mentored or actually being trained in these things. So that's something to look for. Um, it's important to that the relationship be mutual, right? And so if it's a spiritual friendship, uh, if it's only one-sided, there's usually something out of whack in that. Now, if you're going to someone who's uh, trained in qualified spiritual direction, you're not going to be entering into, well, it's a very intimate relationship. It's not like a spiritual friendship where you're waiting for your director then to share with you what's going on in their life. That's... Mm -hmm out of order right but if you're talking about someone a friend in your life who can really be a spiritual companion with whom you can open your heart to that should be mutual they should be able to share graces and what god is doing in their heart with you as well does that make sense mm -hmm. and um yeah and then if there's ever any sign of clinginess or exclusivity in the relationship it's a huge red flag and you want to run for the hills like that's not the place to be entrusting your heart like if this person needs to be needed mm -hmm. it's not a good sign right mm -hmm. uh if they are offended because you haven't shared something with them you know and there's jealousy or envy in that not a good sign right so those are just a few things just off the top of my head that come to mind as, as yes, that important question. I think it's interesting that that the vices, essentially, which you brought up in the very in your last description mm -hmm. about jealousy, envy. And on the flip side of that, I'm recalling that something that St. Catherine of Siena wrote in the dialogues in that in the great uh, instruction from the Father in heaven. And he spoke that you will know that it is of me, and I'm paraphrasing, of mm -hmm. course, you'll know it is of me when there is virtue. It's yes. cloaked in virtue. Yeah. And 
those other things that would lead you to like anger, frustration, all those, that play, that's an important thing to listen to, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, another hallmark is this. So a, a way of saying what you're saying is, l- listen, if there's a lot of drama in the relationship, it's not the right situation. Right. right. Uh, and a true spiritual friend or a competent spiritual director will always be pointing the person they're with to God. They draw them to Christ, to the Father, to the Holy Spirit, never to themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So in friendship, of course, there's this beautiful mutuality of love and affection that grows over time. But in true friendship, the ordering of all those affections and the energy in the relationship is always to point my dear friend to God and to draw them and to desire that they're drawn to God, not to me, Mm -hmm. right? So while, of course, we benefit mutually in that beautiful human way that God designed in good human friendship, uh, the whole focus, the whole energy, the whole impulse in the relationship is always ordered to God at the end of the day. And uh, that's contrary to any clinginess or possessiveness or uh, disorder or drama in the relationship. Yeah, I, again, I don't mean to keep going back to the saints, but as you're speaking, it kind of reminds me of what Teresa of Avila wrote in her great autobiography as she implored parents to guard the friendships of their children. Oh, yeah. Because that can really set a tone for a path we don't want to go down, not just for our kids, but I think we need to look at it in our own lives. Absolutely. Don't mean to keep pitching other people's books, but hey, (laughs) Jason Cudaback wrote a beautiful book called True Friendship, which is a, uh, a popular presentation of Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas on the topic of friendship. And the, you know, the uh, simple way to sum up this whole beautiful teaching is that uh, true friendship is when with another person, I'm building one life, one happiness together in pursuit of a good that is greater than either of us. So Christian friendship is we're building one life, one happiness together. You can hear the intimacy in that. But in pursuit of uh, union with God, God who is greater than either of us. So in the end, it's not actually about us. Mm-hmm. We're not like a, a binary star system slowly devolving around on each other until we collide, right? Mm-hmm. No, it's opening out to the transcendence of God, his goodness, his truth, his beauty, pursuing him, encouraging, challenging each other to pursue greater intimacy with God and greater love and charity in the world. So it's uh, Christian friendship is always not exclusive. It's always magnanimous, ready to welcome others in hospitality, in the depths of love that we enjoy each other, with each other, under God's love for us, right? That's the way the whole thing is ordered. So that I just was grateful when I came across that little book by Mr. Cutterback a couple of years ago in the articulation of those qualities of friendship. And that is rare. So in the age of social media, where friends being friends means a click on a button on the internet, on Facebook, you know, that we have a greatly impoverished vision of what friendship is. And we relate to each other a lot of out of utilitarianism and lesser motives than true Christian friendship. But God has made us for real friendship in him, true Christian friendship, which is uh, a beautiful adventure and spurs us in our growing intimacy with God. I think this also kind of begs the question in the new evangelization for those who are out in the social media, Mm. uh, social networking, whether it's somebody who is blogging or someone who is uh, doing podcasts or whatever it might be, that the fact that they are 
proclaiming a Catholic, we are Catholic, and this is what we are sharing with the community. We have to be very careful, don't we, that in reading them, it may sound good, but if it begins to lead us to something that is unvirtuous in our response, mm-hmm. then we're in a danger territory. And it's it's very easy to fall into that these days. Sure. Uh, you know, that critical spirit. That's mm-hmm. a, it's a hard thing to be on guard against, right? Or to stir up suspicion or division or anything. You know, um, this has been a a, a challenging uh, source of self-examination in my own conscience, uh, in my preaching and just conversations I have with people. Because, of course, everyone knows that gossip is a sin. Okay, mm-hmm. fine. But in the Catholic moral tradition, there's gossip and there's also detraction. Gossip is when I'm saying something negative about a person that's not true. That's what gossip is. Detraction is when I'm revealing another's fault that is really, truly their fault. But that's detraction and that's a sin. Oh, this is a huge challenge. And so the only time where it's really appropriate for me to be speaking of another's faults is when it really is a fault and I'm looking for counsel or assistance to serve the person whose faults I'm discussing in charity. Mm-hmm. So if someone is telling me or I'm telling someone about the faults of a third person, an important question is, why am I saying this? And if the answer isn't out of love and I'm racking my brains how I can best help them and serve them and show them God's love, then I really shouldn't be talking about their faults. Mm-hmm. So that's a challenging standard. And I, I say that in all uh, <laughs> dependence on God's mercy and humility. Like this is something I'm really checking in myself, you know, but don't say the evil men don't need to hear, but only the good that they need to hear. Right. That mm-hmm. scripture exhorts us to that standard. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, of course, we have to discuss reality, which is since we're all broken persons involve people's real faults, but it has to be out of a motive of love. How can I help this person? And not to kid ourselves about that. Then we're not sitting around and stirring up that kind of uh, joy and going through others' faults, that false joy um, in the name of like, no, I really want to help them. Okay, well, let's show me where is the charity actually being expressed in deeds and word if we have to be talking about another person's faults you know what I mean mm, and I think this is it, it brings us back to full circle and when we're talking about as we go deeper in our prayer as the fruits of that prayer we go out into the world and mm. we share with others what is it that we're sharing Yep. And what are they sharing with us? And is that helpful in that that relationship in prayer? Yeah. Yeah. Is this uh, opening, is my conversation, my activity, my interactions, is it rooted in my security in God's love for me? And is it ordered to opening, inviting, encouraging others to experience that unconditional love for them? Right. Because it's the unconditional love of God. It's not a a fuzzy sentimental thing like, oh, God's really fond of me. You know, Mm -hmm. God does. He delights in us. And that's true. But the love of God is transformative. So when I see someone in their struggles, their faults, their brokenness, uh, 
to speak to them, to witness to them, to interact with them in a way that reveals God's love, encourages them to open their hearts to God's love, that isn't glossing over the faults. That's like bringing the hammer to bear on the faults, the hammer that's going to reforge that part of their personality, that habit in their life into something that God intends. It's not a, a soft thing. It's a adventurous, joyful, but transformative, powerful, demanding thing. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The love of God is serious business. Jesus, I trust in you. Amen. No. Father Scott, in closing, what would you have that seeking heart? I think it's important for us to uh, ask the Holy Spirit to give me a little tour of my own heart and places where I'm in any harshness or critical spirit or self-rejection, where I'm really judging myself with and condemning myself, and to ask God in his love uh, to, well, to reveal his love for me and to bring a new freedom and reordering and a healing of whatever's going on right there. Because it's when we've experienced the love of God that transforms me in my real faults and brings new life out of something that was dead or dying in my heart, that was messed up in my heart, brings something beautiful out of that, that with serenity and confidence, we can engage people in their own brokenness without false responsibility of trying to figure out and fix them, Mm -hmm. but also without the false... You know, like, oh, never mind, it's not that big a deal, but really engage them with serenity and um, true charity to encourage their heart to receive the gift that God has for them. And so that healing, asking God, like, God, show me, because we all do this, you know. Mm -hmm. Where am I beating myself up? Where am I hitting myself with the head? Where am I recriminating against myself? Where am I condemning myself? And please, God, like, move into that and set me free from that. And that will set us free to be authentic and courageous witnesses and instruments of God's love for the transformation of the world in the new evangelization. Mm, Wonderful. Thank you, Father Scott. You're welcome. You've been listening to The School of Prayer, Foundations for the New Evangelization with Father Scott Trainer. To hear and or to download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of DiscerningHearts.com in cooperation with the Institute for Priestly Formation. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join us next time for The School of Prayer, Foundations for the New Evangelization with Father Scott Trainer. <laughs>